Okay. We're reading today from Matthew 9, 1 through 13. And getting into a boat, Jesus crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier, to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he then said to the paralytic, Rise, take up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. And when the crowd saw it, they were afraid. And they glorified God who had given such authority to men. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to the disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Oh, so you want you want my microphone on? Is that what you want? Okay, that's fine. People at home, they were just watching me. They're like, is it a mime? What's he doing today? That's so creative. So again, if I was to lock you in a building for 10 years against your will, I don't have the authority to do that. That would be kidnapping. On the other hand, if the government locks you in a building for 10 years because you broke a law, they have the authority to do that. And that's just. That's legal incarceration. The difference is authority. In the same way, if somebody comes and they're telling you what to do, then maybe they're a bully. Or that person who's telling you what to do, if they have authority, that's your boss. And they have the authority to tell you what to do. Uh, Again, this action is the same. The difference is authority. And in today's passage, what we find is that the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, they were questioning authority. They were questioning Jesus' authority. Do you really have the authority to do what you're doing? Do you really have the authority to do what you have come and are doing? Because remember, we've been seeing time and time and time again, I mean, Matthew just keeps hitting us 
with story after story of Jesus' authority. We, we listened and we studied our way through the Sermon on the Mount, and at the end, you remember, the crowd re- re- responded, reacted, saying, what authority that this man teaches with. Two weeks ago, we heard about Jesus' authority over illness. He spoke or, or simply touched someone or, or simply was, and sickness fled, fled that is. Last week we saw Jesus' authority to call people to follow him immediately and on his terms. We saw Jesus' authority over nature as he told the storm, hush, be still, and it was. We saw Jesus' authority over the supernatural as he drove demons out of the demon-possessed men. We keep seeing authority after authority story here in Matthew's Gospel. The authority is unmistakable. But here now he comes into contact with the Pharisees who are questioning that authority. And they're questioning that authority because in today's passage, Jesus exercises what's probably the most audacious display of authority that he has yet displayed. What we find is that Matthew tells us some friends bring Jesus a paralyzed man. And as an aside, we find here the difference between, again, the gospel writers. When you read Mark and Luke's story, this story is famous. In Mark and Luke, if we're going to say it, we want to look at their story because it's a fun story. Because in it, we find the men who brought the paralyzed man. They find Jesus in a crowded house. They can't get to him. So they climb to the roof of the house. They tear the roof apart and they lower the man down in front of Jesus to heal him. Mark and Luke tell us those details. Matthew, he doesn't care to tell us that. Now, is that because it didn't happen? Well, no. That just wasn't important to Matthew as he's telling us his story. As Matthew tells us the story, he leaves all that out because he doesn't want us focusing on the faith of the four friends. He wants us to focus on the battle of authority that's going on between Jesus and the Pharisees in this passage. So the man, the paralyzed man, is brought by his friends. Jesus looks at him and says in verse 2, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. Friends, who has the authority to forgive a sin? Who has the authority to forgive a sin? The one who is sinned against has the authority to forgive that sin. For example, imagine that during one of our worship team practices that happen before every service, imagine that Brian sins against Tim. Happens all the time. So... After Brian sins against Tim, I go and I say, I forgive you, Brian. I don't have the authority to do that. Brian didn't sin against me. Brian sinned against Tim. So the only person who has the authority to forgive that sin against him is the one who was sinned against. Tim has the authority to forgive Brian of the sin. And so when Jesus looks at this paralyzed man and he says, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus is declaring, I'm the one you sinned against. I'm the one you sinned against. Therefore, I have the authority to forgive your sin. By this exercise of authority, friends, Jesus is declaring himself to be God. You might remember in King David's great song of repentance in Psalm 51, He sings, Psalm 51, verse 4, Against you and you only have I sinned and done what's evil in your sight. 
so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. David declares against you and you only have I sinned. Friends, if you remember the story, David had committed adultery, sinning with and against Bathsheba. He was sinning against Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. However, David in his confession recognizes that the one who he ultimately offended with his sin was God himself. Against you and you only have I sinned. Friends, our sin, even when we commit it against or even harming another human being, our sin is ultimately against God. Because it's a rebellion against Him. It's a defiance of His authority. It's a rejection of His word and His good order. God is the one offended by our sin. Against you and you only have I sinned. And friends, if every sin is ultimately a sin against God, then God alone has the authority to forgive sin. And that's what Jesus does here. The paralyzed man is is brought before Jesus and, and Jesus says, Son, your sins are forgiven. Friends, only the one offended by a sin can forgive it. And Jesus declares, I'm the one offended. I am God himself. And friends, the Pharisees see exactly what Jesus is doing here, which is why they question authority. They question his authority because they hear what he's doing. Verse 3, they say, it says, Behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. Friends, to blaspheme is is to take for yourself a right that belongs to God. It's to declare something unworthy or untrue of God. And the teachers of the law rightly counted Jesus as saying, He's God. That's blasphemy. Because if Jesus was not God, then unquestionably his statement was blasphemy. But Jesus is God. Jesus is God. And friends, what we find from this is that Jesus is God and has come with authority. The authority to forgive sins. Which is what He does right here. And friends, Jesus has to prove His authority. And that's what He does starting here in verse 5. He says, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven... Or to say, rise and walk. And friends, that's a trick question. Neither one is easy to say. In one sense, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven because no one can see that, can they? And it's much harder in that sense to say, rise and walk, because people can see and verify whether that happened or not. So Jesus says to them, hey guys, let me verify the unverifiable. Let me show you the unshowable. I'll back up my authority to say your sins are forgiven by showing you my authority to say, rise up and walk. And verses 6 and 7, but that you may know the Son of Man has what? Authority. That He has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then He said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, go home. And He rose and went home. Friends, if Jesus speaks the truth about this man's physical healing, they couldn't doubt that he was also speaking the truth about this man's forgiveness. Jesus proved his authority to forgive sins by showing his authority in this over illness in the sight of everyone. And in verse 8, it says they recognized, those that were there recognized this authority. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid they glorified God who had given such authority to men. 
Church, the gospel, the good news is that Jesus has come with authority. And His authority includes forgiving sins. Friends, the gospel, the good news is that Jesus has come with the authority to forgive sins. And He can forgive sins not only because He is God who is offended by all of our sins, but also because of what Jesus came to do. I think we're getting a little bit of a foreshadowing in this account. I think Matthew's trying to make us aware of something because when we look verses 5, 6, and 7, he keeps repeating the same word. Jesus keeps saying the same word, same word over and over and over again. And friends, that word is rise. Rise. Jesus commands the paralyzed man to rise. Friends, the exact same Greek word will be used to describe Jesus in Matthew 28, verse 6. The angel declares, Jesus is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come and see the place that he lay. Friends, the paralyzed man can rise forgiven because one day Jesus will go to the cross, die for that man's sins, and he too will rise. He will rise from the dead victorious over sin and death and hell. The Apostle Paul took this same word, rise, and declared in Romans chapter 4, verse 25, Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Friends, Jesus was delivered to death for our sins, paying for them, and then he was raised to life for our forgiveness. Friends, the formerly paralyzed man in this account, he rises forgiven because Jesus will rise victorious over sin and death and hell. This is the gospel. This is the good news. Jesus has come with the authority to forgive sin, not only because He is God Himself, the one offended by all sin, but because He is the one who will die and take upon Himself all of the sins and then rise again for our justification, for our forgiveness, so that we too, friends, we too can rise forgiven. And do you know that forgiveness? Do you know the forgiveness, the free gift that Christ has come? What stops you from rising? What stops you from being forgiven? What stops you from following Jesus? But this doesn't satisfy the Pharisees. They keep questioning His authority. We see this in the next account. As he continues on, verse 9, Jesus passed from there. He saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And Matthew rose and followed him. Now the Romans, they hired Jewish people to collect taxes for them. And these tax collectors were essentially contractors. So what happens is they agreed to collect a certain quota of taxes and give them to Rome. And anything they collected above that, they got to keep themselves. So tax collectors were usually greedy and often dishonest, and they were universally by the Jewish people considered to be traitors because they were working to collect taxes for Rome who was occupying them. They had allied themselves with the oppressive Roman government, and as such, in the mind of observant Jews, tax collectors were always considered greedy and dishonest sinners. And that's exactly who Jesus invited to follow him. That's exactly who Jesus invites to follow him. And this tax collector named Matthew responds. And just like the paralyzed man, we read that Matthew rises, it says. He rose. 
And he left everything to follow Jesus. Friends, Matthew left behind a lucrative career. He left behind the security that money brought. He left behind favor with the Romans. He left it all to follow Jesus. What's it going to cost you? What is it going to cost you to rise and follow Jesus? What do you need to leave behind? You might remember that in the previous chapter, in Matthew chapter 8, one of the scribes, one of these, the scribes and the Pharisees, they came to Jesus and said, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And you remember Jesus responded to him in chapter 8, verse 20. Jesus said, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus said, yes, come follow me. But if you come follow me, you're going to have to leave your comfort and your security and your certainty if you're going to follow me. Matthew was willing. The scribe in that story was not. Friends, are you? Are you willing to leave it behind to follow Christ? Now, Matthew, he responds to Jesus' call. And and what does he do? He invites Jesus over for dinner. And then he invites over all of his friends. And of course, Matthew's a tax collector, so who are his friends? Other tax collectors. And they all come for this great feast. But when the scribes and the Pharisees see it, they are not happy. You know what's amazing to me? When I read these accounts of Jesus, is that the lost and the sinful were drawn to Jesus, but the religious people were disgusted by him. And here they are disgusted at Jesus as he feasts with these tax collectors and sinners. Because as we've talked about before, who were the Pharisees? The Pharisees were a Jewish religious party. They were a bunch of laymen who were, and some trained scribes, and they practiced an adherence to the Jewish ceremonial law, but then they even added their own commands on top of it. And they interpreted things in a way that seemed even stricter, and they dogmatically enforced all their interpretations in a way that made them look really good. So much so that Jesus even called them out, you might remember, at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. At the very beginning, he said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter into the kingdom of heaven. He goes, those Pharisees, they consider themselves pretty righteous. At least they consider themselves far superior to, you know, the average citizen. In fact, they really considered themselves superior to people like these tax collectors and the sinners that Jesus was choosing to party with. You know, the Pharisees were kind of the morality police of their day. And so what did they do? They saw Jesus feasting with these people. And what, what do you want? They want to break up the party. Verse 11, and when the Pharisees saw this, they said to the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, friends, while it may be true, while it may be true that the tax collectors, many tax collectors, practiced dishonesty, and many of the tax collectors, they fed their greed by their position, do you see what the Pharisees are doing here? They're just indiscriminately labeling all of them as sinners. Not because they know any particular person's actions. Not because they're naming what they saw someone definitely unquestionably do. It's just because of who they are. They blanket condemn all these people as, you know, those kind of 
people. In church, when have we done the same thing? When have we labeled instead of listened? When have we condemned instead of shown compassion? When have we reduced people to a one-dimensional picture rather than entering into a relationship with a three-dimensional person? Church, how often we, like the Pharisees, look with the eyes of a judge instead of like Jesus. Because Jesus doesn't look at them like a judge condemning them in their sin. He's come to look on them like a physician there to heal them of their sin. Friends, the gospel is that Jesus has come to us not as judge, but as doctor. He's come to us not to condemn, but with compassion. John chapter 3, verse 17 says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Friends, Jesus has come not for our ruin, but for our repentance. Not to sentence us, but to save us. Not to judge, but He's come as a physician. Friends, the Gospel is that we can come as we are. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. We can come just as I am without one plea, and Christ will receive you. Friends, the good news is that you don't need to clean yourself up first in order for Jesus to invite you. Jesus welcomes all. But church, make no mistake that while Jesus welcomes all, He affirms none. While Jesus welcomes all, He affirms none. No matter how sick you are, Jesus welcomes you, but He affirms no one in your sickness. Friends, He's come to save us from our sickness. Jesus has come as a physician. And friends, a good doctor doesn't leave his patient in the condition that he found him in. Jesus has come with authority to forgive and to heal. If Matthew or any of these other men who dined with Jesus that night, if they want to follow Jesus, these men must let the physician heal them. They must rise to forgiveness. They need to leave behind the dishonesty and the greed and the sin. Friends, We can't take sins along with us as we seek to follow Christ. Are there behaviors, beliefs, desires, identities, actions of which you need to be healed and freed that you might rise and follow? And I know some today say, well, it's unloving or judgmental to label any action or desire or behavior sinful because we're told that that love must completely affirm someone exactly as they are. To, to truly love someone, we must approve of all of their actions or desires or behaviors. But friends, it's not loving for a doctor to not identify and diagnose cancer in her patient. It's not loving to purposefully misdiagnose or minimize a serious condition. It is not loving to value someone's feelings over their health. I didn't want to tell you that you're sick because it might have hurt your feelings or made you feel bad. The physician knows that he must say things the patient doesn't want to hear. He he must say things that will hurt the patient's feelings and make him feel uncomfortable. But will that patient then trust the physician to make him well? Will the patient submit to the authority of the doctor who can heal him? Because Jesus has come as a physician with the authority to diagnose, to diagnose our condition, and with the authority to forgive and to heal that condition, with the authority to invite us 
to rise forgiven and healed that we might follow. And church, as we go forth, you know, there are some who follow Jesus today that might say, look, look, I'm following Jesus because, look, I hang out in these questionable places and I hang out with sinners all the time. But friends, Jesus didn't just hang out with people for the sake of hanging out. He came to heal. Friends, a doctor doesn't just hang out with his patients. A doctor is on a mission to heal. And Jesus comes with authority and gospel truth, not just to hang out, but to heal. We must go to the sick. However, we do that not just to seem cool or accepting. We do it with the heart of Jesus, the heart of a physician, to offer the healing, saving balm of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Church, we must go as Jesus went. Not like the Pharisees. Not like the Pharisees who wanted to go into the world to judge. But like Jesus, to go into the world and to introduce the world to its healer and Savior. You see, when Jesus heard the Pharisees' criticism, he responded to them in verses 12 and 13. He said, when he heard it, Jesus said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Again, friends, these Pharisees don't think they're sick. They believe they're healthy and righteous, and and they fear contamination of the unhealthy, of the unrighteous, and they refuse Jesus' authority. If you don't think you're sick, you're going to reject the authority of the doctor who's come to heal you. And Jesus quotes from the prophet Hosea in verse 13. The quote calls the Pharisees both to greater compassion for those that are outcasts, but also he authoritatively diagnoses the Pharisees' problem. He says, you know, like so many in ancient Israel who've gone before you, your heart is more concerned with outward appearance than with the heart. They were more concerned with doing things to make them appear healthy rather than actually becoming healthy. Friends, if you think that you are healthy and the doctor arrives, you're going to ignore the authority and the advice of the doctor. If you think you know how to keep yourself healthy, or if you think you know how to make yourself healthy, you're going to ignore the authoritative advice of the physician who has entered the room. And friends, if you deny the physician's authority to heal, if you ignore the authoritative advice that the physician gives, you'll remain sick. And if you ignore the authority of the Savior who's come to heal and forgive, you'll remain sick and dead in your sins. In his gospel, Matthew's continuing to present to us the authority of Jesus Christ. And church, in doing so, he's inviting us to ask the question, how do I respond? How do I respond to the authority of Jesus? Will I, like the Pharisees, question his authority and deny it and hold him at arm's length? Or will I submit to it and be forgiven? And how do you answer? And church, church, those of us who have been forgiven by God, those of us who have accepted and submitted to the authority of the Savior who came to save and to heal us, we're now sent We're now sent to go as Jesus went, not with condemnation, but with compassion, so that others too might come and they might hear from Jesus the words of hope 
that the paralyzed man heard. Take heart, my son. Take heart, my daughter. Your sins are forgiven. Church, to whom is God sending you that they might hear those words spoken from Jesus to them? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the good news that Christ has come with authority. Authority to heal, authority to forgive, authority to save. And thank you that he has treated us not as our sins deserve. And he has not left us in the condition in which he found us. But he has come that we might be healed, that we might be restored, that we might rise forgiven. Father, I pray if there are those who have not responded to your authority, that you might draw them now and that they might come. And I pray for those of us that have, Father, that you might fill us with your spirit and send us forth so that the world might know that the good physician has come with healing and forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. In closing, please stand.